endeavoring in the near future uh, to purchase some cameras. Cameras aren't ex expensive as they were before, and to be able to live stream. And uh, what we want to do is we want to live stream and to be able to get our uh, sermons live so that the people that listen to them, they can uh, listen, watch them and uh, we're able to really touch more lives. So uh, be praying for that as we ask the Lord to provide for that in, in a very unique way. Speaking of unique, um, God is speaking to us in a very unique way. God has prophetically spoken to us, and we are aligning ourselves up, pastoral staff, we are aligning ourselves up to the things God has said to us through the years. And in that, I, I want you to recognize you're not just that person on the sideline watching uh, the professionals do it. You're not that person on the sideline watching other people do it and saying, well, I can't do that. You are part of the team. You are part, and, and many of you, whatever it may be, you see that in the gifts of God. Whatever gifting you have, you are part of that and you're important. And I don't want anybody ever to feel like that you're not a part of what God is doing at Valley. See, it's between you and God of stepping out into the reality. I've, I've tried for 40 years to get everybody involved. And basically, now sometimes it's difficult because some of you have gone through great tragedy and heartache even at church, and it's hard for you to trust people. But I'm asking you to listen to my message today because I'm just saying this. I can't scientifically say it to you as in every year because uh, I haven't studied that. But I would suggest there are about four, five, maybe six sermons a year that God gives me that I know that I know that they are transformational sermons. I know that wherever you're at, as long as you're not putting earplugs in your ears or headphones and listening to someone else or whatever, you are going to hear something that's going to transform you and build you up to the place of being able to release yourself from some of the maybe even wrong thinking that you've had. And I am just wanting to pray because I am so sincere in what I'm saying that today's one of those Sundays, one of those sermons, that as you listen to it, um, I saw in the first service tears all over the place. I saw people just really grasping and just, I saw one woman in the, in the service, she was sitting back there, and she just had her hands on her heart, and she was just going, thank you, thank you. And, and she was, it wasn't like, you know, Peter taken up, you know, to another place, but, but it was like she was in another world. She just, it was her and God alone. God was speaking to her, and that's what God's going to do today. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you have given me, but Lord, it is your heart. It is who you are that you, you want me to describe. And in Jesus' name, I come before you thanking you that you have given me the anointing to be able to express it properly. In Jesus' name, I am praying for hearing ears that would hear these words from your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I have subtitled this from Don't Ever Forget, Redemption is Real. We are a healed church. We are reborn. And what I have said to you in the beginning of the series is there is a new you. We have a new year, but there is a new you because God's doing something particular in you. We are forgiven. We learn that we are delivered from disease. Don't ever forget. And we are hugged by God himself. So today may I explain to you redemption is real. But before we start, let me tell you, as I said earlier, that God has prophetically spoken to us. And I firmly believe that the prophecies are yea and amen, they're of God. And that we as a church must understand the ministry of a prophet or prophetess. We must understand the ministry of prophecies that are given to the body of, of the church and really settle down and hear what God has to say other than what he's already said in the word of God. Now remember, in any prophecy, there will never be a prophecy that's opposite of the word. It'll always be in agreement with the word of God. So let me tell you, um, I was on the phone with someone and uh, they're visiting the United States from another country. And I've been helping in helping restart their church and helping him in leadership and giving him materials and, and helping him do the steps to be able to recharge his, his church. And so with that, we've gotten a relationship. And now sometimes I send him jokes and he sends me jokes. And so um, because we're talking about the prophetic um, I was telling him about some things that I believe the Lord was going to do. I was prophesying to his church. And then uh, a couple days later, he sent me, um, it's called the top 10 prophecies you hope you never hear. The top 10 prophecies you hope you never hear. So here's number 10. The Lord is calling you to an 80-day fast. <laughs> Pastor Dan doesn't want to hear that. <laughs> A prophecy you hope you never hear. Number nine, thus saith the Lord, thy wife is always right. I'll pause there for you ladies to enjoy that. Number eight, there is a heavy anointing on you, and it's called the Job anointing. Number seven, the Lord will lift you up as an example to the nations. As an example of what happens to a person with a proud and arrogant spirit, a prophecy you hope you never hear. Your name is Sam, uh, Bill, uh, Rick. No, wait, don't tell me. You might be concerned about the prophet when he does that. Number five, <laughs> the enemy will try to put obstacles in your path, but you will overcome them, just like Elijah overcame Goliath during the flood. Little confusion there. You got to be careful what you listen to. Number four, the Lord's name for you is my little Ichabod. Ichabod means cursed. These are top 10 prophecies you don't want to hear. Here's number three. You are precious to the Lord. <laughs> this is hilarious. He will not allow you to continue in your sin 
For your benefit, he will break thee. He will hold thy face in the dust and throw your remains in the desert. (laughs) You make a movie on that one. Number two, thus saith the Lord, thy mother-in-law is also always right. Now the number one prophecy you hope you never hear, does the word poverty mean anything to you? See, actually this year, we need to listen very intently to the prophetic. Now, we've been in this series called Don't Ever Forget. Forget what? God's benefits. Last week, we found that he crowns or surrounds you with favor and his tender love. The question I want to ask you, did any one of you get a hug from God last week? Yeah. See, we need to recognize that redemption is real, but we also need to know what redemption is. In Psalm 103, again, let's read our our passage, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeemed your life from destruction, talking about this today, who crowned you with loving kindness and tender mercy. So the Lord has redeemed your life from destruction. Well, let's look at the word redeemed. And the word redeemed here is the word gael. Spelled G-A-A-L. This word refers to a person too. So it's basically redemption. It is based in relationship. Redemption is not based in trade. It is based in relationship. The word speaks, and we're going to talk about this today, of the closest relative to you that has the ability and right to redeem you, and your property. So David, what he's doing is he's saying to you and me, the Lord is your Gael. He is your nearest relative to you. He is the only one able to redeem your life from destruction. He is the only one that is able to redeem your family. He is the only one that is able to redeem your finances. The only one able to redeem your health the only one able to redeem your life from destruction. Jesus is called in Scripture the near kinsman redeemer. Jesus, the Bible tells us that he is the Father's daily delight, but the Bible tells us that you and I are Jesus' daily delight. He is our near kinsman redeemer. He is the closest And many Christians today don't feel he's close because they don't understand what it means to be redeemed. They don't believe that he's he's far away, he's God, he's in heaven, and he's far away, but he's right there with you. The presence of God is there with you 24-7. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. Now, I, I used this illustration before to kind of counteract what redemption really means. So how many of you, were, I'm going to check your age, okay? How many of you have been in an S&H Green Stamps Redemption Center? 
Look at all the old people. <laughs> you would go to stores and buy things for all the young people here. You'd go to stores and buy things, and from how much you pay, you got stamps or SNH green stamps. Then you would get these books, and you would put them in, in the books and collect the books. And when you got a certain amount of books, it meant like money. All right? So you would go to the redemption store and redeem, they would call it redemption store, redeem those stamps for clothes and products. But now I need to complain about this. They would advertise on the TV all kinds of stuff. But every time I went to these stores with my parents, all they had was stuff for women and stuff I didn't want. But they would advertise everything else. Then, with that, because I was the youngest in my family, I think, my mom would ask me to help her lick the stamps. That was before we had brains to use a sponge. But I would lick the stamps and put the stamps in the book for my mom. Now, it would be three or four hours later, I'd finally, that taste of glue was off my tongue. Well, it's probably why I act the way I do, <laughs> licking all that glue. But our understanding of redemption is not quite like the biblical truth of redemption. We think redemption is a trade. You save me, I, I serve you. No, nope, that's not what redemption is. We trade stamps and we get a can opener. That's not what redeem means in the Bible. Redeem in the Bible literally means to buy back. Now hold these thoughts, because I'm going to really go into some stuff here. I'm going I'm to take you and, and show you in Scripture how it's described prophetically all the time in the Bible. But we read right through it, and we don't even see redemption. Jesus didn't buy you. He bought you back. Keep that in, in your heart. Jesus is the original owner, the near kinsman redeemer, the closest relative, and the only one who had the right of redemption and bought you back. He's the only one that could do it. So listen closely. Every person in this world, before us and after us, is born, sold in slavery. Why? Because of Adam's sin, we are in bondage to sin when we are born physically in this world. We were born with the nature that is bent towards sin in slavery to it or to that sin. The Bible teaches that. So we had to have a near kinsman redeemer to buy us back. So hang on to that explanation there because now what we're going to do Let's read this verse again, verse 4, who redeems your life from destruction. Let's find out what that means. The word destruction can be translated a pit. So destruction represents hell or a pit. This was your and my future 
before we became born again or before we were redeemed. So verse 4 could read like this. Jesus bought us back from going to hell. You have been redeemed from eternal separation from God. So what does it mean to be redeemed? What we're going to do now is I'm going to take you to three sections of Scripture, and there are these three conclusions of redemption, but they are all, listen, that's why I started with what I did this morning. They are all prophetic. They're all prophetic. It's something what, if you find in the Old Testament, you see in the New Testament, everything is either prophetically speaking towards the cross or back to the cross because one of the things that we have to understand, the most important revelation you and I should have in our life as a believer is I am redeemed. Everyone say it. I am redeemed. All right, so stick with me now. There are three conclusions of redemption. The first one, redemption means dominion. Redemption means dominion. Let me show you what the Bible explains and what I mean. When Jesus bought us back, he also got back dominion. So turn to the book of Ruth, or place on your tablet, book of Ruth, Chapter 4, and uh, if you're turning your Bible, Joshua, Judges, then Ruth. And now turn to Jeremiah 32, and what I want to show you is three prophetic pictures, prophetic pictures of redemption. Jeremiah 32, verse 6, it is a story of Jeremiah and his family. And Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. In other words, you are the one. You are the oldest. You are, we're going to find out what that means. You are the one that has the right of redemption for our family. Notice the right of redemption is yours to buy. Jeremiah had this right in his family. Verse 8, then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison. Jeremiah at the time was in prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of, now look at this, the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption yours. So now what we have is inheritance, the right of inheritance, and the right of redemption. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field from Hanamel, the, the son of my uncle who was Anathoth, in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and, listen, sealed it took witnesses, and weighed the money on the scale. So notice there were two rights, redemption and inheritance. Now verse 11 tells us now there are two deeds to the property. So I took the purchase deed, both that, was, that which was sealed 
according to the law and custom, and also a deed that was open. Verse 12. Some of you that sell property and things like that, you've been in there, you understand, okay? And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Meshiai, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, everyone say sealed, and this deed, which is open, everyone say open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may last many days. Verse 15, this is prophetic. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. What does that mean? All right, well, let me tell you. In the beginning of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, who is of, of the Babylonian Empire, was about to overcome Israel, Judah. So the land now belonged to Babylon. Jeremiah says, buy this field to tell all of Israel after 70 years later, I will bring you back. God was going to redeem them. All right? Keep that thought now because I'm going to give you the conclusions in a little bit. So there were two rights, the right of redemption and the right of inheritance. And there were two deeds, the sealed deed and the open deed. Now, this is very important in Israel. There were two things that can be sold and redeemed. We'll find that in another story. The two things that can be sold or redeemed were land or people. You could sell your land and you could sell yourself as a slave. But in Israel, after 50 years, every 50 years, it would be returned to the original owner. This is called the year of Jubilee. Well, keep following with me, okay? I'm just setting you up here so that you understand the conclusion. So if it was 25 years till the year of Jubilee, someone would buy my land for 25 years. Then it would be returned to me. But if that buyer who wanted to buy it for 25 years after 10 years wants to sell it, I have the right to buy it back first. Very important, you keep that thinking in your mind. In other words, there are 15 years left, I would redeem 15 years by buying it back. So you have the right of inheritance also in this story. Now, I own land, and my kids have the right of inheritance. So if something happens to Terry and I, they have the right of inheritance of receiving that property as theirs. So Jeremiah had the right, the right of inheritance. So let me ask you the question, 
How do you have the right in your family of inheritance? In Israel, to be the firstborn son. So the question, and this is awesome, who had the right of inheritance and the right of redemption for us? The answer is Jesus. Why? Because he was the first and only begotten son. We're talking about, don't forget, redemption. Because so many Christians think God is far away. No, no, no. He's the near kinsman. He's right there. And dominion has been bought back. Jesus bought us back, but we had sin, so Jesus redeems us. This story says there are two deeds also, an open deed and a sealed deed. Now let me explain to you the open deed. The open deed is open to see the names of owners. In other words, the one that's on the deed has the dominion of the land. So every time a piece of property is sold, they would mark out the name on the deed who owned it before and write the new owner's name on it. But here it is. But the original owner would keep the sealed deed. Why is this important? Who is the original owner? God is. Psalm 24.1 says this, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. We're talking about redemption. It means dominion. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So what does the open and sealed deed represent spiritually? God gave the open deed to Adam and said, here is the open deed to the earth and, and he said, and take dominion. I give you this open deed. Take dominion. And Adam lost it. Now, we find, remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? In the temptation in the wilderness, Satan showed Jesus all the world and said, this is mine to give you. Did Jesus argue with that statement? No, he didn't. Why? Because the open deed had Satan's name on it because Adam lost it through sin. So Satan got the open deed from Adam. But hold on. With this dominion, I got good news for you. Guess who kept the sealed deed? In Revelation chapter 5, it's amazing, last week, when Terry and, and Dan were up here, I believe it was last week, they were talking about Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 5, the Father is sitting on the throne and is holding a sealed scroll in his hand. Let me read it to you. Revelation 5, beginning with verse 1. This is so cool. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. 
Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, do you not just sense the presence of God right now, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. He was God. He came as a man. He was born as a man. He lived on this earth with no sin. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. He died for you. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne are the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign, take dominion on this earth. So what does redemption mean? Exactly that. You have dominion. So, on the cross, Jesus dies and sheds his blood for us and marches into hell and is there for three days and three nights and says to Satan, give me the open deed. I am buying it back, the land and the people. The Bible says he took captivity captive and led them out. Before Satan owned all the land and people because of Adam's sin. But the first thing, the open, the open deed he did, not the, the sealed deed. The first thing redemption mean is, means is dominion. You and I now have dominion back because Jesus bought it back. He redeemed it. So here's the second thing redemption means. It means marriage. Everyone say marriage. In Ruth chapter 4, I asked you to turn to that, verse 1. It's a story of Boaz and Ruth. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative, the near kinsman, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friends, sit down. So he came aside and sat down. Verse 2. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, the near kinsman, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it 
back. There's that terminology again. In the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then look at the story. Boaz has something in the back of his mind. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the, of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot re redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right. So he gave Boaz the right to do this. You, because he was next in line. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. <laughs> Let me just tell you what was going on here. He said, you have to buy this land for Naomi, but you, want, you won't be able to inherit it, so you will have to marry Ruth and raise up a son. The land then would be added to yours or inheritance. And the guy said, I don't want to do that. He had the right of redemption, but not in inheritance. Probably when he sat down, this guy's wife was sitting next to him. And he, <laughs> his wife says, I'm not marrying Ruth. Okay? Here is the spiritual meaning of that. We were bought back with a price. And 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Do not become slaves of men or saying you are owned by God. Now follow me. God not only bought you 2,000 years ago, he married you. He proposed to you because he wants you to have the inheritance. The inheritance is him and eternal life in heaven. The inheritance, you are co-inheritors with Jesus because you are the bride of Christ. That's how close this is. That's how amazing this is. So now, watch this. Boaz and Ruth is a love story. I don't know if you figured it out yet, but Boaz loved Ruth. And Boaz wanted to marry Ruth. And so he went to this guy who had the right of inheritance. And he said, he said, you're going to have to marry Ruth, knowing that the guy probably looking at his other wife, saying, uh, I ain't going to do that. He says, I give you the permission to do that. And that gave God, watch this, that gave Boaz the right to marry Ruth. Now, this is so cool. Let me say it again. The guy rejected Boaz's suggestions, but Boaz wanted Ruth and set it up so he could redeem her and give the inheritance. 
Church, if this was a movie, it would be a chick flick. There's nobody got shot, no car races, just Boaz pursuing Ruth. This is a prophetic picture of Jesus. Boaz had his eye on Ruth. Jesus had his eye on you. He not only paid the price for you with his life, he got down on one knee and he proposed to you. The whole reason he paid the price was so he could marry you. It, redemption, means marriage. The closest relationship on this earth. Here's the third thing redemption means. And this is going to blow you away. This is even going to be greater than the football game this afternoon. Redemption means commitment. When he redeems our life from destruction, it not only means that he gives us dominion and we become his family, the closest near kinsman, but it means commitment. So the question So how committed is Jesus to the marriage? See, if you haven't accepted Christ, he already paid for your sin. He's committed to that. Even if you rejected him, he died for you. He already paid the price. He is proposing to you now today. Also, if you've already accepted Jesus Christ and the proposal, but you have fallen away and you are messing up your life right now, he is committed, he is still there. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Destruction is that he redeemed you from is called the pit. But the root word of the word destruction is the word trap in the Hebrew language. Now the word trap in the Hebrew language redeems is not past tense, it continues. Anytime you fall, he continues to redeem you. 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Redemption is something that continues as you move and do not reject that. You cannot mess it up, church. Some of you are thinking you can't do some of the things you know you're called to do, but redeeming means you've been bought back and you have everything you need to do what God's called you to do. You have everything. That's what redemption means. Redeems is not past tense. It continues. All of the benefits are present tense. Who forgives all, he heals all, He crowns you with favor and tender love. And next week, we're going to talk about that God satisfies. (laughs) I can't wait till next week. So Joseph, another story, was thrown uh, in the pit by his brothers. You know what Joseph said later about that? He said to his brothers, you meant this for evil. Redeems means God turns it around for good. Wherever you are at, whatever you've done, whatever is going on in your life, whatever people have done, 
Redeem means you are living a life to the near kinsman that is always there for you. He will turn it around for good. Be faithful to him. Be committed to him. Well, let me give you one more prophetic picture. It is my favorite prophetic picture in the Bible. It's in the book of Hosea, and it's about the prophet Hosea. Most only see the first part, not the second part of this. So because of time, I'm not going to read you the scripture. I'm just going to tell you the story. God told Hosea in this book to marry a prostitute to show what he did for us. So Hosea is obedient to the Lord and marries a prostitute. And this is only the first part of the story. And that's usually the only story people tell. Now, Hosea and the prostitute, they have three children. Two sons and one daughter. But in this process of the time that God tells Hosea to marry the prostitute and the time frame of having these children and how many years this was, Hosea falls in love with her, but she leaves Hosea and goes back into prostitution. So there's Hosea left with her, his three children. But she goes into a different type of prostitution. See, people don't study that. and They don't see what the Word is telling us. She went back to a different prostitution. She went, went back into slavery. Redemption, God redeeming us, means he buys us back from slavery because we were born in slavery to sin. So what she did was she went and sold herself. And so what she would do is get money from this man that buys her, and she would live with him two months, three months, four months. It's just awful just to think of this and what she was going through in her life and the pain that she had and the abuse that went on in her life, some because of her choice. There are people in our world, they're in the predicament they're in is because they chose to get in it. But God is always there to redeem you. He is committed to you. He's committed. He loves you. You are his daily delight. He loves you more than anything. So he'd be with a man two, three months, four months, five months, whatever it was, and then the man would decide, okay, that's it. And he would take her back to the selling block and would sell her again to another man. Remember the open seal? Okay? This is abuse. They owned her. She falls into a trap or a pit of sin and is on the auction block. So the last guy that it explains before the second thing manifests takes her, puts her up on the selling block. She's in her chains because she's in slavery and asks for money to sell her again. And there's a group of people in the crowd. And all of a sudden from the back, someone yells out, $2,000! And everyone goes, because it's everything 
It's basically a statement of he's given everything. It was Hosea. Hosea wanted to redeem his ex-wife. Hosea wanted to buy back his wife. And he walks up to her. We're talking about what does redemption mean. We're talking about how committed that God is to this redeeming. This is a picture, a prophetic picture of how God works. You may have rejected God. You may have just totally gone into the most debauchery of life. But God's committed to you. Don't you ever think that God says to you, forget you, you've done enough, that's it, I give up on you. Hmm. He walks up to her after giving over everything that he had and he takes the handcuffs off of her wrists. And Hosea, the picture is Hosea gets down on one knee and asks her to marry him again. That's what Jesus does. He continues and continues to buy us back every time we sell ourselves to the world. Church family, he's committed to you. Young people, I want to tell you, the world wants to tell you because they have all these movies, all these blogs, that God is this ogre God. It's all his fault. Every time there's a hurricane, it's God's fault. Every time there's a fire, it's God's fault. The insurance companies, when you get older, you're going to buy insurance. And anytime stuff like that, it's act of God. All these things that are there, but I want to tell you, no matter where you've been, whatever's happened, whatever's gone on in your life, that evil that is there, Joseph said, you meant, the people meant it for evil, but God's going to turn it around for good. Because God is a loving and a caring and a committed God. He has bought back dominion. Amen. He has literally brought you into a place today. And I want you, Valley Community Church, I want you to understand in this new culture of who we are and the things that we're walking in, I want you to understand we serve a great God that is loving and caring, and he never gives up. Never gives up. That's what redemption means. Let's all stand.